worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 489. It'd be amazing, of course, if every working relationship you had was farting unicorns and rainbows and and sprinkles and whatever else. And you're like, oh, I see you and I appreciate you. And I would love it if we could do that. But most of us have to engage in reality. So that's not what happens. Your happiness and your success depend on your working relationships. The people you manage, how well you work with your boss, the way collaboration happens with colleagues and peers, how you connect with important prospects and key clients. But the hard truth is this. Most of us leave the health and fate of these relationships to chance. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown. This is the Read to Lead podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I believe if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a great way to start. This week, I've been reading a book by Michael Bungay Stanier, who's probably best known for his book, The Coaching Habit. He's written a new book called How to Work with Almost Anyone, Five Questions for Building the Best Possible Relationships. I'll be asking Michael to share about that thing I just mentioned a moment ago, the hard truth about why we leave the fate of many of our relationships to chance, insight into what he calls keystone conversations and how to have them, principles surrounding the maintenance of these important conversations, and much, much more. Speaking of important conversations, that's one of the things I love about the Read to Lead community online. Did you know that you can connect with other Read to Lead podcast listeners there and have conversations centered around podcast episodes, centered around specific business books, or any other topic related to personal and professional development, things like jobs and career, productivity, mindset, habits, and more. There are new conversations happening inside the Read to Lead community nearly every day. Lots of content published there each week, a couple of trainings per month, new business book summaries on a weekly basis, and lots more. And you can check it out right now for free for two full weeks to see if you like what's there just by going to jeffbrown.me. That's my name. And then the .me part, jeffbrown.me, a simple website to navigate to and remember. And if you like what you see after two weeks, guess what? It's just $9 a month. That's all. And you know what? I've never mentioned this, but even if you find you only visit the community occasionally, think of it, if nothing else, as supporting the Read to Lead podcast. That's exactly what you're doing when you're a member of the Read to Lead community, not only getting valuable insights and content that you can't find anywhere else, but you're supporting the Read to Lead podcast at the same time. Again, to find out more about it and to enjoy that two-week free trial, go to jeffbrown.me right now. Michael Bungay Stanier helps people know they're awesome and they're doing great. He's best known for The Coaching Habit, the best-selling coaching book of the century, recognized as a classic with 1.2 million copies sold. You can learn more about Michael at mbs.works. His initials, mbs.works. His new book 
is called How to Work with Almost Anyone, Five Questions for Building the Best Possible Relationships. Well, certainly have loved seeing the success of the last book we talked about. It's been amazing. I mean, it's like nobody can believe it, me included, about how well that book has gone on to do. It's like just it's just a little dynamo. Yeah. Well, uh, let me welcome you officially back uh, to the podcast. It's It's been, gosh, what, 2016? Something like 2017? So, gosh, six, seven years. Far too long. I, I've aged terribly. You look as young and as beautiful as ever. <laughs> so I'm not sure what your secret is. but <laughs> I've, I've got a wife that feeds me lots and lots of vegetables. So I guess that's a good start. There we go. Much, much to my chagrin. Wait, you, you, you need to you need to start a new podcast on your beauty regime as well. And uh, it's like, I don't know if that would go very well, but I, I, I'll think about it. I'll think about all right. it. You know, something you do in this new book, Michael, that I don't know in all the the ten years I've been doing this podcast, I've seen done before, and I thought was pretty interesting is uh, when an author is including a chapter from a previous book at the end of the current book. What what went into that? You know. Um, I'm trying to build a body of work that is helpful for folks. Mm-hmm. And often it's around how do you manage other humans? And uh, it just occurred to me that one of the things that ha- I see it in fiction a fair bit, which is like, here's mm. the first chapter right. of the next book in the trilogy. Because my wife is uh, a great uh, fantasy and sci-fi and young adult reader. She's trained as a librarian and she that's one of the, the genres that she reads. Mm. And really, I was kind of inspired by that, which is like, if I've got this person going, let me give you a taste of the next exciting installment, I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm ready to pre-order that book now because I'm like, I, I'm excited to see how the story unfolds. Right. And, you know, my books are standalone. They're not trilogies or anything like that. But I would love to think that in the books that I'm, I'm writing, I'm building up a, a, a range of different tools and repertoires and ways of thinking mm-hmm. for people to help bring out the best in other people, help bring out the best in themselves, help stay curious longer, help build better working relationships. So that's the idea of the the chapter at the end is like, hey, there's there's more. If if you like, if you got to the end of my book, which mm-hmm. I am very grateful for because it's it's not easy to actually get to the end of a book. I'm like, <laughs> maybe, maybe you'd like a little more. And if so, I can help you with that. Yeah. And so many authors, as you do, you make reference to the advice trap in this book and you make reference to the coaching habit in, in this book. As, as And so many authors do that, make reference to previous books. When they reference those books, they often say, hey, you might want to go check this out for these reasons. I wish more of them actually included a little teaser like you did. Right. I thought that was really, really smart. Oh, thanks. Well, uh, despite the fact that our work happiness and our work success depends in large part on our working relationships, like how well we get along with our boss and collaborate with our colleagues and that sort of thing, the hard truth is that most of us leave the health and the fate of these relationships to chance. And I'm just wondering, why is that? Well, I've got some thoughts around that. (laughs) I Um, bet you do. (laughs) The first is... An urgency thing. There's always work to do. <laughs> mm. There's always to-do lists. There's always plans. There's always strategies. There's always tactics. And when you're talking about what the work is, you tend to go to what's the stuff that needs to be done. And that's always noisy and urgent and important and a crisis or exciting. So there's no wonder that so often we're just pulled into the, the doingness of it all. But one of the things that's really obvious is basically work gets done through people. (laughs) And a lot of your frustrations with the work you're trying to get done involves other people. 
So what if you could build really better working relationships with these other people? Mm. But now we're into relationships. And let's face it, trying to figure out relationships is messy and complicated and difficult because that other person is messy and irrational and confusing and partially known. And you're like, I don't even really know who they are. And they're feeling exactly the same about you. Mm. So just as in our kind of lives outside work, where us negotiating and navigating relationships, whether that's romantic relationships or friendships, they have their perils. It's complicated. Um, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not great. You're not even sure why. It's, it's the same with uh, working relationships, which is for me to want to build a better working relationship. It's going to involve a degree of courage and a degree of vulnerability and a degree of emotionality and a degree of humanness. That some people are like, I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll play it safe. Well, as someone who hasn't had traditional coworkers in about 10 years, I still got so much value from the book because I did, as you suggest uh, throughout the book, one of those things is to think back to a previous relationship. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, we'll get into the good dates and the bad dates a little bit later, but filling in those exercises was very, very useful to me. I like uh, books that have exercises <laughs> and I like yeah. books that have exercises that are short enough that they, they don't quite take you out of the book. I've, I've read books where there are exercises that kind of force you to sort of leave the book Right uh, and and do homework and then come back and 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 I could just fill this in as I was reading and, and keep moving and I, and I really oh, I like love it. hearing that love that aspect about it too. Well, thanks, Jeff. I mean, in, you know, this is a book I've written for people who work, so you could call this a business book. Mm -hmm. But kind of like trying to get kids to eat spinach and how you slip that spinach into the spaghetti <laughs> sauce so they don't know it. I've kind of tried to make it a self help book, but mm -hmm. cunningly. So. Don't tell anybody. This is just between the two of us. <laughs> right. But you know, there are there are five questions in the Keystone conversation, mm -hmm. this structured conversation about how we work together. Mm -hmm. um, each question, each of those five questions has three exercises connected that if you want, I mean, and if you want, you you can do to help develop and make more nuanced and more specific and more grounded in data your answers to the questions. So that when you're exchanging information with another person, you're actually bringing the very best answers you have um, to represent you. And I love it uh, too. Another aspect of the book is I read it in a day. <laughs> so it, it, it doesn't take a long time to get through. You mentioned uh, the Keystone Conversations. Before we dig into some of the uh, specifics of the questions themselves, how can we best prepare ourselves for these Keystone Conversations, would you say? Yeah. Well, I think the starting point is to... So what, well, what is success? <laughs> what am I doing here? Why would I, why would I risk this type of conversation? And so the goal is to build the best possible relationship, a relationship that is safe and vital and repairable. And notice I'm not saying the best relationship because it'd be, it'd be amazing, of course, if every working relationship you had was, you know, farting unicorns and rainbows and, and sprinkles and whatever else. And you're like, Oh, I see you and I appreciate you. And. Like I, I, I would love it if we could do that, but it's also, you know, most of us have to engage in reality. So that's not what happens. Mm. But if you think of a bell curve and you think that your, your present and your past working relationships fall on that bell curve. So there's going to be some at one end and that they are amazing. You're like, mm -hmm. that was great. We clicked, we collaborated, we brought out our best. We navigated the tricky bits with grace and style and ease. 
And then you've got some other relationships at the other end of the bell curve where you're like, oh, man, you know, there's like sand in the gears here. We just could not get it going. We kind of kept stumbling over each other. We kept kind of irritating each other. <laughs> there's a bunch of them in the middle. Mm. No matter where your relationships are on that bell curve, each one of them has potential. Mm. And the goal is to say, how do I make the really great ones sparkle longer mm. and, and, and be even more resilient? How do you take the ones in the middle and move them so they've got a little bit more magic to them? They're a little bit more enlivening for you. And, and really importantly, how do I take the ones that are at the other end, the ones that are hard and frustrating and annoying and just diminishing and make them bearable, make them more workable, make them more practical, make them like survivable. And so that's success, which is like mm. for the key working relationships I have, whether that's somebody like you, Jeff, who's like, I don't have a team exactly, but you know, I've got, I've got a producer who makes my mm. podcasts and I've got a publicist and I've got a collaborator and I've got some clients. You're like, you've, you actually have some key relate working relationships mm. that help influence your success and your happiness. And it's kind of identifying those key relationships and then going, okay, which are the ones that I want to invest in? I want to actually think differently about. And then that sets you up to say, is it worth me having a keystone conversation with them, a conversation about how we're working together rather than what we're working on? Mm. You know, you reminded me of something as you were talking, uh, and that's masterminds. I know at least at one time you were a part of a mastermind. I don't know if you were in a different one or a new one now, but uh, that's uh, related to this conversation that we're having now. That's something that I find quite valuable. I have one that I've been in with a few other gentlemen for probably five or six years. And I I can't imagine not being a part of that. And I can't imagine where I would be in my personally and professionally without that sort of personal board of advisors that I meet with every week. And I've got a story for you around that. Mm. Uh, It's part of the inspiration behind writing the book. So I was in a a mastermind group, we called it the Brain Trust, for about 15 years. Mm. And 15 years is a long time. Like We were pretty different people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We were all slower and plumper. But you know, (laughs) our businesses had evolved. We were a little wiser, perhaps, as well. And we had the good luck to have enough self-awareness that three or four times over those 15 years, Mm. somebody went, this isn't really working for me like it used to. Mm. And we would reboot the relationship. So we're like, what does it need to be to get back to being vibrant and vital and have some energy to it? And, you know, we'd come up with some adjustments and we'd, we'd kind of reboot it and start it again. After 15 years, we, we kind of sunk to another place where we were all kind of going through the motions a little bit. Mm. We were kind of like, it's fine. These are my friends. I like them. But, you know, I would show up for the phone calls and I'd be like slightly bored (laughs) and not really talking about what was going on for me. Mm. And uh, what happened is there was a falling out between three of the the members Mm. and and a kind of significant one. And the whole thing broke apart. And it kind of just, it just, it just shattered into dust immediately. It was shocking how quickly and how unrepairable it was. And we had failed to reset. We had failed to maintain. We had failed to keep going. You know, the three qualities of the, of the best possible relationship are safe, vital, and repairable. Mm. It had felt safe enough, but it, it had, the vitality had gone and it turned out the repairability had gone as well. Mm. And it might have been 
the moment to end that. Like you might have just been going, you know what? Our time is done. We've done 15 years. That's amazing. Right. But we never had the opportunity to have a wake to to celebrate what we had been because mm. it broke and it broke badly. Right. Um, and that's part of the inspiration of writing this, which is like when it comes time for you to end your working relationships because they end, mm. how do you how might you get there in a way that you can celebrate the good, minimize the resentments, and kind of go, huzzah, our work here is done, and kind of go our own separate ways. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I know you talk a little bit about that in the book, and I appreciate you you going into even more intimate details here on the show. That, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is very much appreciated. Um, let's get into some of the, the questions now. The first of which you label the amplify question. Yeah. Uh, talk about why it's important to make a distinction between what you're good at and what you're fulfilled by. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're asking that question because it's the first question of five. And you know, when you ask what's your best, which is a slightly awkward question. I'm kind of like, I wanted it to be slightly awkward. I wanted it to be slightly disruptive almost because I didn't want to ask, what are you good at? And I'll explain <laughs> why in just a minute. And I didn't want to ask kind of what are your values or what are your strengths? Like I've mm-hmm. done strengths finder and I'm like, mm-hmm. I can kind of remember what my top five strengths are. But even when I hear them from somebody else, I'm like, that's cool. And I don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. But when I ask what's your best, I'm like, tell me when you shine, tell me when you flow, you know, that, sense of flow from the Czech psychologist, high mm. kick sent me high, you know, this idea when time speeds up and slows mm. down and you're in the zone and you're stretched, but not too far. And you've kind of found the sweet spot. I'm like, tell me about that. <laughs> no, because, because I can make up a whole lot of stuff about you, but I want to hear what is you when you're, when you're, when you're in that flow state and the shiny is kind of like the external version, which is if I'm looking at you, and I see you lit up. What's happening? What are you doing? Where, where, what's going on with you around that? And part of what this is doing is trying to push the difference between good at and fulfilled by, because it's very slippery. Because when you see somebody else who's good at something, you assume that they're fulfilled by it. Right. Whereas you know in your own bones that there's a whole bunch of things that you're good at that you are definitely not fulfilled by. I mean, it's part of the, I don't know, let's call it the privilege of age. Like you and I, we're both ridiculously good looking, but we're also <laughs> not young anymore. You know, we're like, you've got gray hair, I've got gray hair, nordic highlights as they're sometimes called. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I've just been around long enough that I'm like, I've just, I'm, I've got the hang of a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. and I never want to do most of it. I'm like, I'm done. So mm-hmm. one of the exercises, one of the self-awareness deepening exercises in the book if you wanted is to tease apart this idea of what are you good at and what are you fulfilled by mm. and if you imagine a classic two by two box you know a, a square with a cross in the middle so you've got four little boxes inside one big box you can imagine on the horizontal axis you know i'm good at it yes or no high or low mm. and then on the vertical axis i'm fulfilled by it yes or no high and low And if you're lucky, you have some stuff in the top right-hand corner that you are both good at and fulfilled by. So for you, Jeff, for instance, I'm hoping you're up there as like having a podcast. You know, clearly you're good at it because you've been doing it for years and you're, you're masterful and just having you ask me these questions is a reminder of what a gracious and smart and researched and informed host you are. So you're good at it. That's great. But I'm hoping that you're still fulfilled by it. You're still going, I love doing this stuff. You know, I've 
decorated my my office with books and with a little thing that says read to lead on your <laughs> on your microphone and the big read to lead behind you and the audible <laughs> poster you're like you're, you're fully you've got a lot of infrastructure that's supporting this podcast i'm hoping you're still like i still love it i've been doing it for x years and i love it yeah. still i'm hoping that for most people there is nothing in the i don't like doing it i'm not fulfilled by it and i'm not good at it because if you got if if you're spending time doing stuff you're not good at and it doesn't fulfill you that's a bad combination. <laughs> that is really a bad combination. Mm. But then there's some interesting stuff in the other two boxes. One of which is I am good at it, but I'm not fulfilled by. So that's, you know, if you and I were trying to work together, Jeff, it'd be really interesting to go, here's what you need to know. I, I'm, I'm excellent at this stuff, but, I, but I'm really not fulfilled by it. Mm. Like, for instance, you may go, I'm excellent at podcast production. Like I know how to take a recording and tidy it up and spruce it up and sprinkle in some music and slap on an intro and an outro and kind of give it some sparkle because I had to do that in the early years. Um, but you know what? I, I don't like doing it. I don't get that excited about it. That's why I have my own producer who does all of that stuff for me. And if you flip it around, there's also something really interesting in the, let me tell you what I am fulfilled by, but not yet good at. Because that is a really interesting place of learning. That is you going, I want you to give me this type of work because I'm, I'm excited about it, mm. but I need guardrails. I need coaching and I need a safety net and I need mentoring and I need training and I need quality assurance because I will get better at this. Um, and I get lit up by the thought of doing this, but I'm not as good as I need to be yet. So I need to make sure that. I don't screw us both over by doing this in an unsupervised way. You know, you hit it on the head for me, the interviews that I do to the production that I don't like to do. <laughs> it's like you read my notes from the book. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I was just projecting because I'm the same. Like I love, like I love hosting podcasts. And I'm yeah. like, it's really interesting. And I love having somebody who then goes away and makes it look and sound great without me having to worry <laughs> about those details. Cause I'm like, I can do it, but please don't make me. Absolutely. At first blush, I think most might question a statement that you make in the book, and that is that we're all thoroughly predictable and solidly consistent. How does that thought or idea relate to the second question you ask, which is what you call the, the steady question? Yeah. So the steady question, what you're asking here is what are your practices and what are your preferences? Mm. And really, it's like, uh, let's have a conversation about the mechanics of how we work together. And, you know, the origin of this question for me comes from reading about and seeing what people call readmes, um, particularly kind of popular, I think, in the kind of Silicon Valley and West Coast kind of space. Mm. And the idea is like people write out a couple of page documents around, here's all you need to know about me. I do like email. I don't like Slack. I prefer feedback like this. My name's Michael, not Mike. That's kind of a, an operating manual. Mm. And while that is a great idea to collect that information, I think it's a terrible process because what they do is they just email it out to you know everybody and go read this and then you'll understand everything about me and I assume you'll be able to be just brilliant at working with me. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work like that. That's not how relationships work. But this is a question that allows you to have a conversation about the same thing, which is like, so we all have ways of working that because they're our ways of working, they feel like common sense to us. They feel like that's, this is the obvious thing to do. And we have 
patterns and 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 ways of repeating all of this because it's like here's my habit these are my work habits mm. what you'll find is that your work habits aren't the same as the other person's work habits mm-hmm. <laughs> and half the time that doesn't matter at all because you're like I'm a morning person you're an evening person doesn't really matter because we do asynchronous work anyway so you know do your work whenever you want right but so often these little things can actually become quite a big source of irritation so part of what you're doing here is like let's eliminate the chance that we might you know awkwardly step on each other's toes just because we've got different patterns of work you know as a really specific thing um so my name is Michael Bungay Stania it's quite a long name and when i start working with somebody i'm going to say to them first thing you need to know is my surname is Bungay Stania but there's not a hyphen in there it's like an invisible hyphen mm. so some people assume that Bungay is my middle name right. and i'm like no 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 Bungay Stania is my surname And then I'll say and also my first name is Michael. It's not Mike. Please don't call me Mike. I've got there are literally seven people in the world who call me Mike and it is my brothers and my mum and their families and kids. Mm. They call me Mike and for some reason that's fine. The people who unilaterally just decide that they're going to shorten my name to Mike, mm. I get why they're doing it. They're being friendly. They're like, look, we're buddies already. We we we're, we're so close. I'm already calling you Mike. And I'm like, yeah, but Here's what you don't know. It's just like when people call me Mike, it irritates the heck out of me. I'm <laughs> I'm Michael. Mm. And that's just an example of one of those little exchanges of information that sort of says, you know, as, as here's another just to give examples of this. When I started working with my assistant Claudine, we track a lot of projects and the work that needs to be done through mm. Asana, which is one of the, you know, the task managing project management sure. tools. Years ago, I did some work with a guy called David Allen. You you might know Jeff in terms yeah. of the getting things done a book came out I think to the year 2000 and like for a decade it was the productivity book, you know, mm. it sold a bunch. And uh one of the lessons that David Allen teaches, the small lessons is all of your to-dos should start with a verb so that they're actually to-dos. They're, they're <laughs> actually it's a it's a doing thing rather mm. than a, a statement thing. So I, I that's now in my bones so yeah. I'm like Claudine if you're adding stuff to my to-dos which I want you to do they need to start with a verb please which is mm. and and uh we call it a transitive verb so it's like not run to, it's not running to the store but run to the store mm. you know I'm like I don't want a gerund I want this type of a and it's like it's weird and it's nerdy and it's very <laughs> very specific and I can feel people on the other end of this podcast rolling their eyes going I'm glad I'm not working with Michael and I get that totally but I'm like I don't want Claudine to accidentally irritate me because I haven't given her a chance to avoid some small but significant kind of uh minds right and my gears are turning the whole time you're talking like did i did i address him as michael at the beginning of the podcast you've been calling me mike the whole time and i'm about to hang up on you this is like you are dead to me jeffrey <laughs> gosh if that's true i'm totally sorry no 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 you haven't i'm i'm teasing you've been calling me michael uh, okay yeah. good good plus you have this great great kind of voice for radio so i'm like maybe he can call me mike because he's got this kind of like deep sexy voice so uh, it's like maybe that's like i'm probably okay with that well uh, these things in front of me are called microphones but i call them mics all day long and they don't well, exactly so that's one of my lines i'm like look let me show you what a mic is this is what a mic is <laughs> right. I- i'm a michael i'm right. i'm not a piece of stage equipment <laughs> Well, I want to combine uh, questions uh, 3 and 4. I teased these earlier, the good date, uh, bad date uh, questions. Um Yeah. With with the good date question, you suggest starting with the other person 
and, and what yeah. they bring to the relationship and with the bad date question that we start with taking responsibility for, for what we've contributed. Unpack these two questions and, and, and why is it important to pay attention to that? Maybe not so little nuance. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the good date and the bad date question, and you're right, they're, they're kind of separate sides of the same coin. Because the key insight behind the, the combined questions there is that the patterns from the past repeat again in the future. Mm. So let's not ignore them. Let's learn from them and get smarter because of them. So the good day question is, what can we learn from successful past working relationships? And the, uh, the bad day question is, what can we learn from frustrating past relationships? Mm. And because there's wisdom there. And you can guess how this goes. It's like, let's start by talking about a really wonderful working relationship. Ideally, you kind of, I, I'd say something like this, Jeff, last time you worked with somebody like me in this kind of capacity, and it was, it was fantastic. It was a really great working relationship. What happened? What did you do and not do and say and not say? What did they do and not do and say and not say? Because, and, and then, then you do the same for the bad day question, which is like, okay, you know, when you worked with somebody like me and it was like irritating and diminishing and frustrating and annoying and kind of like, ah, <laughs> what happened? So you're doing this great gift of like showing people that goes to Christmas past, you know, like the best and the worst of these kind of examples mm. so that you can both go, we should, we should strive for the best of and try and avoid the worst of. And you've given me some really practical ways of doing mm. that. Now, my suggestion on the order in which you answer it is just kind of an awareness of some of our psychological uh, tricks that we play on ourselves. Right. You know, there's a piece of research that says if somebody's working on a team and you ask them, who's responsible for all the good stuff that happens on the team, if they put themselves first, they will give themselves more credit than is due. Mm. Like I'm probably responsible for 70% of why this, why we had the success. And then I'll divide the remaining 30% amongst the remaining eight people on the team. <laughs> if you go have a think about who's responsible for the success of this project or this, on this team, but you have to assign your percentage last, it becomes a much more accurate assignation of who's responsible for what. So I'm just taking that insight, which is like, okay, so when you think about the bad working relationships, if you start with the other person, the temptation is going to be to blame them for mm. as much as possible. They're mad, they're crazy, they're sad, they're angry, they're sociopathic, they're psychopathic, they're they're, they're deluded. They did this, they did this. And you can kind of get into a whole sort of drama thing around why it's all their fault. But if you go, actually, what if I took as much responsibility for the dysfunction of this as possible? You know, what, how am I responsible for this? It becomes a more nuanced interrogation of what was going on. It becomes less of a kind of a finger pointing blame game and a victim making a victim of you in the situation, but you're actually taking full responsibility for this. And then when you figure out how you're responsible, then what you attribute to the other person actually has a kind of greater connection to reality. Mm. And that's the same with the, the positive one as well, which is like, figure out how they, rather than you taking all the credit for why this was such an amazing working relationship, and you have some of the credit for sure, but you will over egg the pudding if you go first. So what if you figure out all the brilliant things that other person did? Um, cause that's really helpful for you to tell 
person you're going to have the keystone conversation with. And then you can kind of take credit for the rest. And there's mm. plenty that you can take credit for, I'm sure. Mm. Uh, the last question then, uh, before I ask about this sort of running these types of conversations and then maybe a maintenance question too, yeah. is the repair question. Yeah. And you say the answer to that question is kind of the second most important thing. What's, what's number one? Yeah. Because the repair question is, well, how will we fix it when mm. things go wrong? And um, the truth is most people will stumble a little bit to try and figure that out because it's like it's a hypothetical and we've only just started working with each other and I'm not totally sure. What's really powerful is that the question says, A, it will go wrong. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> This, at some stage, this relationship goes off the rails. There might be a big <laughs> explosion, but probably it's not. Probably it's a, you know, a misspoken word or a misunderstood gesture or a missed deadline or expectation. Somewhere it gets dented or cracked or bent or broken in some way. So first of all, it just acknowledges that that's going to happen. And then how will we fix it? It's like, not will we fix it when things go wrong? It's how will we fix it? So built into the question, is actually a shared commitment to say, we're going to try and sort this out. We're going to try and make this better when it happens. And it kind of, the power of the question, I think, is it allows you to say, hey, Jeff, I think this relationship is going wrong. <laughs> it gives you a chance to actually acknowledge and talk about it. And I know there's, I think back on my own working relationships, there's been plenty of times where I'm like, this is not going well. <laughs> but maybe if I just pretend it is going well, and not say anything, maybe it'll miraculously heal itself. And you know, working relationships, uh, the truth is that it, stuff does self-heal, mm. you know, just through necessity, you know, like mm. time and speed, and we've got to keep working with each other because, you know, you're, you're the guy and I'm the other guy. Um, we've got to make this stuff happen. But it rarely self-heals back to where it was. The, the, the rip, the tear in the fabric remains. Right. Um, this question says, Maybe we can repair this and not only get back to where we were, but to actually get beyond that, actually get better than we were. Mm. Well, let's assume for sake of discussion, both parties have, have done the work of answering all the questions. Talk, if you would, Michael, about what goes into keeping this process humming, running a Keystone conversation, the, the yeah. principles behind the maintenance of, of, of this process. Yeah. So I'm aware that the idea of saying to somebody, hey, Let's have a conversation about how we're working together before we get into the kind of the, 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 the work itself is unusual and a bit unexpected and possibly a little awkward. And so there's a way people might show up going, what is this about again? <laughs> why, why are we doing this? So phase one is preparing for this. And you, know, you, you prepare by knowing what the questions are and maybe doing the exercises and kind of generating your, your answers so you're, you're ready. The, the first step is to actually invite somebody to, to have this conversation. And if there's a singular call to action in all of this book, it would be be the person who reaches out, be the person who is brave enough to say, why don't we try and have this conversation? You know, as somebody said recently, nobody likes to be the first person to say hello, but everybody loves to be greeted. <laughs> right. There's something really lovely and brave and courageous and adult to say, hey, let's have this conversation about mm. the way we're going to work together. So that invitation is, is really powerful. You know, when you start, you want to make this as safe as possible because it's kind of new territory for you both, particularly if you're the more senior person. There's all sorts of ways you can do that, which we get into in the book, but 
you know, things like being appreciative right at the start, saying, would you like to go first? Would you like me to go first? Um, sharing the questions beforehand. All of these are ways of like unweirding this and making it feel safer. Part of the middle piece is to encourage depth. And again, the more you can role model vulnerability, the more the other people around, the person you're in conversation with will be vulnerable as well. Particularly true if you're the more senior person. Um, it's a little more complicated if you're the more junior person or if you're, I'm not sure if this is still the right word, but kind of a minority, some sort where you may go, look, mm. I've got, I've got less power to play with, less status to play with. Mm. And then you finish the conversation with like just appreciation and gratitude. This is great. I'm excited. I really appreciate what we shared. I've got a good feeling with what's ahead. There's a way about ending on a high note. That's really important. Mm. Well, what haven't I asked you, or maybe that we haven't covered with regard to the book that you want to make sure people know or walk away with? Well, that, that, there is a version of that question in this book, which is like, what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said. Right. And I, it's, a, it's a favorite question of mine. And I use it in the context of trying to potentially repair a relationship by being preemptive, which is like, if I'm, as I'm often am, I'm often the person who, who holds the balance of power off because the people who I work with you know, I, I started two companies and so they work in those two companies. So I got that kind of old white straight dude founder <laughs> thing going on. So I'm like, I will typically have the balance of power. So I need to keep trying to create space that will allow people an opportunity to say the hard thing. And this question, what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said, um, is a question I ask not every time, but often enough just to encourage some of my key people to be willing to speak up and, and say the thing. Um, but if I was to say um, what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said here, I mean, appreciation for what a wonderful host you are and a, and a great questioner, because it's lovely to know that you've read the book and you like the book and you're asking questions that help illuminate the book. And I'm appreciative of that. Mm. The one thing we kind of haven't touched on is um, the kind of the maintenance phase of it. And it's just to say that having this keystone conversation can be so powerful. It can be really a, a game changer in terms of the type of relationships you have, but you're not done after you've done the Keystone conversation. What you've done is you've actually created a space that is safe and vital and repairable for you to stay both committed to co-creating the best possible relationship, but that requires maintenance and checking in and adjustment and investment, just like in every other relationship in your life, which is like... It keeps requiring input for you to get the best possible relationship. Well, in the three minutes we have left, and I'm saying that for your benefit as well as mine. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I keep you on schedule here. Uh, I want to ask you a personal knowledge management related question. You mentioned David Allen, of course, yep. infamous for GTD, getting things That's done. Right. How to take all those to-dos and tasks out of our head and make sure we're putting them on paper. I'm a big fan of that process, but also a fan of a similar process as it relates to our, our knowledge, personal knowledge management. It's kind of the, the same thing with regard to knowledge as GDT is for, for tasks and to-dos. And so as someone who leads a cohort uh, in this area called Note Making Mastery, we cover collect, connect, crystallize, create, the, the four-pillared mm -hmm. process of making sure that the knowledge you discover, the things you read, the content you consume for learning and growth don't get tossed away and never seen or heard from again, don't get forgotten. Any processes or things that you do on a daily basis or a weekly basis or, or you know, whether tactically or strategically that aid you in making sure those things that you learn don't get lost? Yeah, I've got a few, I've got three things to say about that. Mm. The first is I, I have a handwritten journal 
And I use that to often kind of kickstart my day. So I'll ask three questions at the start of the day. Mm. Uh, What do I notice? It's just helpful for me to kind of actually notice what I'm thinking about and what I'm feeling and kind of what's going on in my body and what's going on in the room and what's going on outside the window. It's kind of a call to to pay attention to what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Um, what what am I grateful for? Because because there's all that great research around you know daily gratitude just makes you happier. Mm. And thirdly, what's the one thing today? So of all the things I could be doing, what's the one thing that I really want to do to, that would make today a successful day? Mm. So that's not exactly. Uh, knowledge management, although I will often be capturing thoughts and ideas and, and notes around stuff there as well. Uh, secondly, I use Roam. Uh, lots of people who are listening to this will know what this is, but for me, it's quite a new discovery, which is there's a way of capturing information and it links and it backlinks keynotes. So I, just stuff starts appearing and emerging from there. So that, you know, when I'm writing this book, um, I will, you know, type in relationship. And it will show me all the stuff that I've just collected over time um, and will connect around that. And so it has a way of creating serendipity. And then the third thing is I just recognize that some knowledge is meant to drop out and and I'm not meant to remember everything or collect right. everything. Some stuff just passes through and it just, you know, it sinks to the bottom of the lake and becomes sediment. <laughs> and I'm not sure how it, it feeds into what I need to know or not. Mm. I don't feel obsessed about needing to hold on to everything all the time. Right. Um, but for me, the Rome thing is a place where I will be capturing often stuff that is kind of like adjacent. Like I read pretty broadly. So I'm reading mm. fiction and nonfiction and science and anthropology and philosophy. I'm kind of all over the place. Mm. Um, and I, I like the kind of the connections that start showing up. Yeah, you mentioned so many things that I want to key in on there real, real quick. Uh, Rome Research, great tool. I use a similar tool called Obsidian, all about bi-directional linking. You mentioned how that fosters serendipity. You're, you're speaking my jam. Uh, <laughs> all that stuff. And then just, you know, not being afraid to let things go. The joy of missing out versus the fear of, of missing yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Uh, the book, again, is called How to Work with almost anyone five questions for building the best possible relationships thank you so much michael for your time i really appreciate you writing the book and your willingness to come on this show and talk about it Jeff, it's been such a pleasure thanks for having me if you'd like to find out more about michael and the book that seth godin calls a modern classic visit the show notes page created just for this episode you'll find that at read to lead podcast.com slash 489 for episode 489 I have conversations lined up for you from folks like Matt Abrahams, who's written a book called Think Faster, Talk Smarter, all about the art of impromptu conversations and how to think better on your feet. I just recently interviewed Damon Limby, who's written a book called The Learn It All Leader and is CEO of a company called Learn It. I loved that conversation. Can't wait to bring it to you. And soon you'll be hearing from Hal Hirschfield, who's written a book called Your Future Self, How to Make Tomorrow Better Today, a book I absolutely loved. All that and more on the way in the coming weeks right here on the Read to Lead podcast. I hope you'll come back. That is all for this week. Hope to see you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read.